Thank you for listening to the Lucy Baptist Church podcast. To learn more about us or to find other sermons and resources from us, visit our website at lucybaptist.com. See you this morning. Good to worship with you. Good to hear your voices. Good to see some folks uh, that have, uh, for the first time back, we're glad you're here. Uh, others who are guests with us today, thank you for coming. Uh, we want to wish a very happy Father's Day to our fathers today, those who are here present, those who are uh, worshiping at home with their families. Again, thank you for joining us. We're in a series of messages in the book of 1 Corinthians. I invite you to turn there. 1 Corinthians, we're in chapter 4 this morning. Chapter 4, we'll be reading verses 1 through 5. We have, we're preaching a series. We've entitled this series from 1 Corinthians, The Gospel-Shaped Church. We're seeing as we go verse by verse through this wonderful epistle in God's Word about how God designed for the health of this church and our churches today that we're to be a gospel-shaped church. And we're certainly seeing that revealed to us here from the pages of the Word of God. With your copy of God's Word there, 1 Corinthians chapter 4, I'll be reading this morning verses 1 through 5. The Word of God reads, This is how one should regard us as servants of Christ and stewards of the mysteries of God. Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. But with me, it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or by any human court. In fact, I do not even judge myself, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time before the Lord comes, who will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness and will disclose the purposes of the heart. Then each one will receive his commendation from God. And from this passage today, I'll bring a message entitled, The Ministry of a Shepherd. Let's pray once again. Father, we I've been blessed this morning to be in your presence together with your people. We thank you for the joy of worship, the joy of worship together as the body of Christ. Lord, we thank you that we had the opportunity to fulfill Scripture this morning, which tells us we're to sing and make melody in our hearts uh, to the Lord. Uh, we're to sing and we're to speak to one another uh, the psalms and hymns and spiritual songs, and I thank you that we've had the opportunity and will continue to have the opportunity to do that today. We thank you, Father, for the Word of God. We believe and trust and know that it is inspired by the Spirit of God, that it is not only inerrant but also sufficient for every need that we have. The Lord has spoken, and as uh, today as we see it, spoken by the Spirit of God to our hearts and Lord, we know it, it applies and is relevant for today, Lucy Baptist Church, our church family. So God, we ask now for the work of your spirit to enable us to understand, to rightly divide the word of truth, to faithfully proclaim the truth this morning. We also pray for the work of your spirit and the hearers of your word. Enable them to understand, to receive the word today. You know where every heart is, where every life is that is listening you know the heart need of every person here today. 
Father, you know those, uh, Lord, as our church family that need to receive this word today, just to be reminded of the ministry of their shepherds, their pastors, whom you've called here, but also their responsibility to respond and to pray for uh, and to see what that responsibility is. Also, Father, to, uh, to apply the principles in this passage to all of us as believers as we are all accountable to you and will one day stand before you. So speak to us today from your word. Father, you also know the hearts of those today who have not yet responded to you in repentance and faith. We ask that you do a work in their hearts today, that they will hear the gospel. And Lord, we know that, that faith comes by hearing and hearing, uh, Lord, by, by faith. We pray that you will enable people to see and to respond uh, to the recognizing their sin, to turn from sin, to trust in Christ. May your children be encouraged this morning by the gospel, recognizing, Lord, that you call us to be a gospel-shaped church in the midst of a wicked world that needs to see the difference that Jesus makes in a life and even the difference he makes in a, a body of people called your temple, call your church, call your flock. Speak to us today. Be glorified in the word. Be glorified in our obedience and our response in changing our lives and conforming us further to the image of Christ in whose precious name we pray, Jesus' name, amen. In his autobiography, um, economist Kenneth Galbraith in, uh, relates an incident that uh, took place in his home with uh, their uh, housekeeper uh, and just demonstrating how loyal she was to their family. Her name was Emily Wilson. Uh, he was, a, as I said, Mr. Galbraith was an economist and he was, had a really tough day one day and he came in and he said to Emily, I'm going to lie down, take a nap, and I don't want to be disturbed. Well, uh, shortly after he'd gone in to take his nap, uh, the phone rang, uh, and on the other end of the line, uh, it was President Lyndon Johnson calling from the White House. And he said, uh, get me Ken Gilbreth. This is Lyndon Johnson. And uh, she said, well, he's sleeping, Mr. President, and he's asked me not to disturb him. To which he said, well, wake him up. I want to talk to him. And she said, no, Mr. President, um, I can't do that. Uh, I work for him, not for you. Later on, when Mr. Gilbreth called the, the president, the president was with great laughter responding, and he said, uh, tell that lady I want her to work for me in the White House. Uh, well, the, that illustrates really the, the work of a shepherd, the work of a pastor, a leader, as we're seeing described here, because we answer to the chief shepherd, the Lord Jesus Christ, and that's what this passage, among other truths, is teaching us about our responsibility as shepherds of the Lord Jesus Christ. Paul is continuing to address this issue of division in the church. In fact, he's been doing so since chapter 1. Now we find ourselves in chapter 4, and he will continue throughout this chapter. That illustrates for us how what a serious issue the matter of division is within God's church. It also uh, reminds us of how important unity is within the body of Christ then as well as in the church today. So he's continue, uh, continuing from various uh, aspects to deal with this matter of division and showing again how serious this matter is. You see the church there had, was rallying around various leaders, as we said, Paul, Apollos, 
Peter. Uh, and so he's showing them, again, how wrong that is to rally around men and, and to, in a sense, have personality cults and to put men on a pedestal in, in this way. Uh, and, in, and in this passage, they, they, had, they were all not only rallying around these men, but we see they were also criticizing, evaluating, judging, if you will, the men who they were not in favor of or who were, they were not following. And that's exactly what Paul will address in this passage as well and in other passages in the book of 1 Corinthians. So again, he here addresses the correct way to regard the ministry of the shepherd, the pastor, the leader, by examining his role, by seeing his requirement, and to whom he is responsible. So see these tr three truths with me here from 1 Corinthians 4, 1 through 5. Notice first, the shepherd's role is that of a servant and a steward. Again, in verse 4, he says, this is how one should regard us as servants of Christ. This is not the first time in 1 Corinthians that Paul has talked about these leaders being servants of Christ. The first time back in chapter 3, verse 5, Paul said, what is Paul? What is Apollos? Servants of Christ. The word servant there is the word diakonos, when we get the word deacon or minister or servant. We said then it, ha it literally means through the dust. It was a word that described a table waiter. But here Paul uses a different word when he calls them, when he says one should regard us as servants of Christ. This word is huperites, which literally means under rowers or galley slaves. You've seen the pictures, no doubt, of ships, these large Roman galley ships that on the bottom level of the ship, three levels of the ship, you've seen those pictures of ships with, with uh, oars coming out of the side of them. Well, those were manned by galley slaves. The galley slaves was considered the most menial position that a servant or a slave could inhabit or could fulfill. And that's exactly the word that Paul is using to describe he and the other shepherds, leaders in this church and in any church. Again, servants of Christ. In Luke chapter 1, verse 2, from the very beginning there, Luke uses this word when he describes ministers of the word. So he says we're servants, we're galley slaves of Christ, indicating there that we answer to Christ. Our master is Christ. In the galley there of that ship, there would be one person who would be the master, who would give the orders to them to row in unison with one another. He said we're rowing in unison to the call of the Lord Jesus Christ. He is our master. We are his slaves. Now again, Paul is not using this terminology to demean the office of pastor or apostle, as was Paul, shepherd, but again to describe how foolish it was, how, if you will, ridiculous it was, that they were putting the, treating these men like celebrities. He said, we're just galley slaves. Would anyone rally around a galley slave? Would anyone put, put someone up on a pedestal who was a galley slave? Certainly not. You think about that in application of this day, of how oftentimes people are, are treat, treat uh, pastors or leaders, if you will, and sometimes some pastors treat themselves as if though they think of themselves as so, a celebrity. 
That is not at all the way the Bible describes the office of a pastor or a leader. So he says we're, we're servants of Christ. He also gave a second way to, to understand and regard the office of pastor or shepherd, and that is uh, as one, regard as he says, as stewards of the mysteries of God. A steward was also a servant, a household servant. He may have had a higher uh, rank of importance, so to speak, than the galley slave, but this, this word is also very important to describe the role of a shepherd, of a pastor. A steward owned nothing but managed the resources of his master's household. There are many examples of this in Scripture. One of the most prominent is probably the example of Joseph. You remember after Joseph had been sold into slavery by his brothers, he came and he was bought and, and became a servant, a steward in Potiphar's household. The Bible says of him there in Genesis 39:4. so Joseph found favor in his sight, Potiphar's sight, and attended him, and he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. What a beautiful description of a steward of the mysteries of God. God puts his stewards in charge of his, his household. The mysteries here, mysteries of God, also translated secret things, were those things that were hidden in the Old Testament, but now that God has revealed them in the New Testament age. These New Testament mysteries, if you will, now revealed. And God has called his stewards, his shepherds, his pastors, to, he's entrusted them with these mysteries, and our role is to proclaim them to God's household, God's family. John Phillips names three key mysteries, the mystery of Christ's cross, the mystery of Christ's church, and the mystery of Christ's coming. There are other mysteries that are mentioned, but I think that primarily we, when we think about the mystery, we think of the mystery of the gospel. What's important to realize is that we, can't, we would not have known these mysteries had God not revealed them by the Holy Spirit. Not only that, but we cannot receive those today, these mysteries, without the work of the Spirit of God. We saw that back in chapter 2, verse 14. If you want to look there, he says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually discerned. The Spirit of God had to reveal them through the inspiration of Scripture, and He has to illumine them in the heart of people. He has to make them known through the work of the Spirit, even in our hearts and lives today, as we describe the work of the Spirit there. And in a real sense, every believer, every one of you here this morning who is a believer, you are a steward of the mysteries of God. You are a steward of the gospel. God has made you a steward of the gospel message of the Lord Jesus Christ. Many passages that allude to that and demonstrate that. Let me read one, 1 Thessalonians chapter 2, verse 4. Paul was inspired there to write, But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel, so we speak, not to please man, but to please God, who test our hearts. 
We've been given the gospel. We have been approved by God. We have been entrusted with the message of the gospel. As stewards of the gospel, we are to dispense the gospel to the whole world. Jesus told us here in the Great Commission to take the gospel to the whole world. Every person is someone to whom we are to go with the gospel. And the Bible teaches us that stewards will one day give an account for what we've done with what we have been given. That includes everything that's entrusted to us, but for the purpose of our message today, specifically the gospel. We'll one day give an account for what we have done with the gospel with which we have been entrusted. Let me ask you today, believer friend, what are you doing with the gospel that has been entrusted to you? Did you attempt this week to invest the gospel in someone else's life? An unbelieving family member? An unbelieving neighbor? A co-worker? A Facebook friend? Or did you attempt to share the gospel? Did you pray for an opportunity this week? Did you look for an opportunity to invest the gospel? Here's another important question. If you're put on that spot this morning, would you be able to share the gospel? Do you know the gospel? Are you certain that you know the content of the gospel? We like to remember the gospel as we teach it to our church family in three le- four letters, G-M-C-R. G standing for, stands for God. The Bible teaches us from the very first verse of Scripture that God is our creator. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And he goes on to describe how God created humanity. He created us, ultimately. And we are all accountable to him. And every person is accountable. And everybody needs to understand in hearing the gospel that they they too are accountable to God and will one day stand before him. The M stands for mankind. The Bible teaches us that every human being, every person among mankind is a sinner. And we have all sinned, Romans 3.23 said, and fall short of the glory of God. And all are deserving of hell. Romans 6.23 makes that clear. The wages of sin is death and has passed upon all people because all have sinned. The C stands for Christ. Jesus, the Lord Jesus Christ, came and died for sin, for sinners. He became our sinless substitute. Our sin was placed upon him, and he died for our sin. But the good news is of the gospel is that he rose again the third day. He's alive right now. Jesus lives. But how do we respond to that? Not enough just to know those things. We must respond. The Bible teaches us that the biblical response to the gospel is repentance and faith, repentance and faith. Acts 2, uh, 20, 20 and 21, we'll see in a few moments, but the word there tells us that we, are, we must respond in repentance, turning from our sin and faith, turning to Christ, putting our faith and trust in him. Have you responded to the gospel? Are you here today as someone who may not have responded to the gospel? You've never experienced repentance and faith, and, and perhaps you've not even really heard the gospel then we pray today that that God will speak to your heart and that you will respond, that you'll hear the gospel, receive the gospel. Our prayer for you is that the Spirit of God will open your spiritual blinded eyes to see and understand and respond. And we want to say to you, we're available to you following this service today. It's Father's Day, but nothing is more important than where you're going to spend eternity. And we want to have the joy of sharing the gospel message, and we are fully available to you following this service this morning uh, to help you know more in understanding of the gospel. But then I want you to see, second, that the the shepherd's requirement is faithfulness. 
Look at verse 2. He says, Moreover, it is required of stewards that they be found faithful. Not only uh, we see here that the, the, the master uh, of a house entrusted uh, to this steward his life, he entrusted his family's life, he entrusted his resources to them. So a steward had to be, had to be someone who was faithful, who was trustworthy, who was reliable, who could be depended upon, and, and, would, and he knew that, that, that what he put in his hands would be cared for. Well, we as stewards have the, the joy and the responsibility to be faithful with what God has entrusted to us, the message of the gospel, the message of the Word of God. The word found here can be understood as proved. Expositor's commentary says the Lord looks at the person's ministry as a whole, as one picture, expecting to find the servant faithful in all his ministry. It's important that we start well. It's important that we continue faithfully, but it's also vitally important that we finish faithfully as well. Jesus uses the same metaphor in the parable of the talents in Matthew 24, 45, and 46. Jesus said there in that parable, who then is the faithful and wise servant? whom his master has set over his household to give them their food at the proper time. Blessed is that servant whom his master will find so doing when he comes. Jesus the shepherd, the chief shepherd, has entrusted us with his message. We do not have the authority to come up with our own message. I'm sure glad we don't have to. But he has entrusted us with his message. And we are responsible to distribute all of his message, not merely part of his message. Paul told the Ephesian elders in Acts chapter 20, verses 20 and 21, I did not shrink from declaring to you anything that was profitable and teaching you in public and from house to house testifying both to the Jews and to the Greeks of repentance toward God and of faith in our Lord Jesus Christ. And then verse 27 he says, For I did not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. So I understand that word shrink has the idea of a, a horse in battle, not being spooked in battle, but moving forward. And God has called us not to shrink back from public opinion. That's why the Bible says the fear of man is a snare. Living to try to please men, preaching to try to please people is a dangerous thing. The profitable here is described in this passage is all of the Word of God. Once again, we cannot preach the part of Scripture that is most appealing, like the love of God, and then fail to preach that which may be distasteful to men, such as the wrath of God. We do not have the authority to preach a different message, and we do not have the authority to preach a 
partial message. To do either of those dear th- things, dear friend, would be to be unfaithful as a steward that, of, that God has made us as shepherds of the Word and uh, of the flock of God and stewards of the, the grace, the, the principles of God and the, the gospel of God that He's given to us. He could say this, Paul could say in Acts chapter 20, verse 26, I am innocent of the blood of of all. Wow, what a profound statement. How could he say that? Once again, because he did not shrink from declaring to them the whole counsel of God. You say, well, how do we pray for you, pastor? How do we pray for our pastors? You pray for us that we will not shrink from declaring to you the whole counsel of God. Paul admonished Timothy in 2 Timothy 2.15, do your best to present yourself to God as one approved, a worker who has no need to be ashamed, rightly dividing the word of truth, cutting straight, if you will, the word of truth. Jesus told a parable in Luke 19, uh, a story there of a a nobleman that, that gave 10 of his servants representing all of his servants, a mina, which amounted to, uh, which was an amount of money that amounted to about $20. He went to a far, the far country and, and, uh, to receive a kingdom, and he told them, engage in business until I come. He recalled, he returned rather, and called each of them to give an account for what they had done with the mina he had given to them. Some were more fruitful than others. Some bore more interest and, and uh, were more effective, if you will, in what had been given to them. But each of them who was faithful, though, may, though some may have been more fruitful, but was still commended and rewarded and given more responsibility and more to invest. One of them, however, we're told, buried that mina and again questioned the, the goodness of the nobleman. And that one was called a wicked servant. I believe this parable because, again, it's speaking of something all of his servants had received. Speaks of us as believers. Speaks of us as the church. Jesus picturing the nobleman there who's gone to receive a kingdom and is going to come again. And the Bible says we're going to give an account to him of what we have done with the gospel. And again, our desire to share the gospel, to invest the gospel, is an evidence of our relationship with him. No desire to share the gospel is an evidence of a lack of relationship with Christ, as we see here illustrated in this parable. So once again, I ask, are you engaging in in the business of investing this gospel in others? Are we, as your pastors and leaders, being faithful in investing this gospel that has been entrusted to us. Third, I want you to see the shepherd's responsibility is to the Lord. Notice that in verses 3 through 5. Not only were some exalting Paul and or others, depending on who they were coming under there or who they particularly liked best, maybe because of his preaching style, maybe because of his personality, Some had better personalities, no doubt, than others, just like we're all very different. These pastors were very unique and different. But not only were they putting some up, but in the process of doing that, they were putting others down. Sounds kind of like politics, doesn't it? And so they were putting one up and putting the other down. And so they were judging or evaluating their ministry. 
and saying what they didn't like about it. And it acting as if though they were the judge, they were the one who had the responsibility of evaluating their ministry. Notice verse 3. Paul said, but, it, but with me it is a very small thing that I should be judged by you or any by any human court. Now Paul is not being arrogant as if to say, I don't care what you think about me. That's not really the spirit, so please don't get that idea and what you're, you're reading here. Nor was he uh, really saying in the big scheme of things that, that uh, but, but he was, was really saying that your judgment of me is not what is really important. Nor really what anyone says in the human court, if you will. Because he knew how fickle, if you will, and again, how inaccurate people's opinions can be. Now, you, you probably can only imagine what, what it's like sometimes to be a pastor. And when it's, you know, if you're in a place of responsibility, either as a husband or a father or a dad or a mom or a worker, you know what it's like to have people that, with various people that want you to do various different things. Imagine having a church full of people where everyone considers themselves to be your boss. And they think that this is how it should be done. This is what you should be preaching. This is what you should be doing. This is how you should conduct your ministry. This is how you should dress. All these various kinds of things. Imagine what that might be like. Well, Paul was facing some of that, obviously, as people were, uh, were, being, were, were judging his ministry. Then he went on to... Uh, the reason he didn't take that seriously is ultimately, of course, because... He stood to the Lord. Jesus was his boss, if you will. Jesus is the master. He's the chief shepherd to whom he answers. Notice that he goes on to say, I do not even judge myself. Now, Scripture teaches us that we should examine ourselves. He's not saying we never examine our hearts, our lives, or our motives. But he knew that even his own judgment of himself could be inaccurate. Some of us have a flesh tendency to be overcritical of ourselves. We're all, you know, you ever known someone like that? I can be that way sometime. Maybe kind of beating up on myself too much, you know, being a little too hard on myself. Paul said, I, I know that, that I can, I, maybe that's a flesh tendency of some people. Others, on the other hand, can go to the other extreme. Be too quick to justify themselves. Be too quick to defend themselves or to feel okay about themselves. You may have heard about that pastor who was riding home one day and he'd felt with his wife and he was feeling really good about his message that day. He was thinking, man, boy, that was, I, boy, I felt pretty good about that today. And he was just kind of waiting for, uh, for his wife to affirm his preaching. You know, maybe nobody else had. And, and so he was waiting on that and she wasn't saying anything, so he kind of wanted to help her out a little bit. So he said, uh, honey, I just wonder how many really good, faithful preachers of the word that there are today. And she said, there's one less than you think. Sometimes we need that, don't we? We need to properly evaluate ourselves because we can overly uh, evaluate ourselves. So Paul said, again, I do not even judge myself. Notice in verse 4, he says, for I am not aware of anything against myself, but I am not thereby acquitted. It is the Lord who judges me. So Paul is saying, I'm not really aware. As far as I know, I've been faithful. As far as I know, I've been a faithful galley slave. I've been a faithful steward of these mysteries that God has given to me. As far as I know, I've been faithful to preach the gospel and the word of God and that my message and that my motives are 
pure. But he said, but I, but I don't, I don't, I don't, I, I don't, I'm not thereby acquitted. In other words, my judgment on myself doesn't really matter either. It is the Lord who judges me. And the right thing for us to do, and I say this to us as pastors, but I say it to all of us as believers, is to ask the Lord to evaluate our service, even now, to reveal to us any wrong motive. I knew a pastor who said anytime anyone criticized him, even if he knew that that person's motive was wrong, or even if he knew that his criticism was harsh and wrong, he would say, he'd go to the Lord in prayer and he'd say, he would say, Lord, is he right? Is, is he right? And so he wanted the Lord, and, and we need to have that spirit and, and that attitude. But Paul is saying, my judgment in myself doesn't matter. It is the Lord who judges me. Jesus is the one who evaluates me and who determines if I'm faithfully carrying out my ministry because we are responsible to Jesus. It is to him that we report, and he is the one that we desire to please. Notice what Paul says in verse 5 as we continue to think about his, the one to whom he is responsible. He says in verse 5, Therefore, do not pronounce judgment before the time, before the Lord comes. The construction of the verb here indicates that he's saying stop pronouncing judgment. That's exactly what they were doing. They were acting as if though they were the ones to whom Paul was answerable and that they were evaluating the faithfulness of his ministry, the, faithful of the faithfulness perhaps of the other shepherd leaders in their church. But he's making it clear that when the Lord Jesus comes, all of us are going to stand before him. We're reminded that this is not a judgment to determine whether or not we're believers. That is determined here on earth in regard to our response to him, whether or not we repent of our sin and place our faith in Christ. This is, as we've already seen in 1 Corinthians 3, this is a judgment of works. It's a judgment of ministry. And specifically, he's talking about the faithfulness of the pastor. But the Bible teaches us all believers will stand before Christ. 2 Corinthians 5.10 says, For we must all appear before the judgment seat of Christ so that each one may receive what is due for what he has done in the body, whether good or evil. We saw there in 1 Corinthians 3, 10 to 15, how, how our works will be judged by fire, the spiritual quality of our works, and, and whether they will stand for eternity. In verse, it goes on in verse 5 to say that he will bring to light the things now hidden in darkness. Nothing will be hidden before him on that day. He will disclose, he says here, the purposes of the heart. You see, we can do right things in the wrong way. We can do right things in the wrong motive. Jesus often dealt with that as he would address the Pharisees who did what they did for the praise of men. And Jesus said, you have your reward. You're getting your reward here. You won't get it there. And so Jesus was going to judge the purposes. He's going to evaluate our ministries and the purposes of our heart. He's going to disclose these things. But then he goes on to give good news. He says, then each one will receive his commendation from God. Again, he's speaking of believers receiving their commendation. For what? For the very thing he's just said that is required of stewards. Faithfulness. Faithfulness. Faithfulness to, to be a good steward of what God has given 
you to serve him with faithfulness as stewards of the gospel. He's going to commend his shepherds and all of his children for their faithfulness. Jesus' words in the parable of the talents should be the aim of every child of God, where he said, his master said to him, well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. Are you being a faithful steward today? Are you, gonna, are you being a faithful servant of Christ? Would you pray for us that we will be faithful servants? Because the Bible says, as your pastors, that we not only give an account for what we've done, but we give an account for you and the way in which we've shepherded you. So pray that we might be faithful stewards, faithful servants, and pray that you might be a faithful servant and a faithful steward of the Lord, that you might hear those words, well done, good and faithful servant. After serving for 40 years in Africa, a missionary and his wife boarded the ship to make their way back home to the United States. On board the same ship was President Teddy Roosevelt. Seems to be the day for president's illustrations. On that ship, they were, the president was there because he'd been in Africa hunting lions. And so they arrived at New York Harbor, and there was a big crowd of people there cheering, flags were waving, bands were playing, reporters were there to interview the president about his hunting trip. But this missionary and his wife who'd served the Lord faithfully in Africa for 40 years, no one was there to greet them. They made their way there in New York to a tiny little apartment where they felt especially the husband, very discouraged and very neglected. He went to the Lord in prayer, and he said, Lord, it just doesn't seem right. Here, you know, we've served you faithfully 40 years as missionaries in Africa. We come home. No one is there to greet us. No one seems to appreciate what we've done. Here the president goes over there and hunting for a few days and comes home, and there's a big entourage of people to welcome him home. And as he prayed, it was as if though the Lord spoke to his heart that day and said, Son, you're not home yet. You're not home yet. Brothers and sisters, we're not home yet. But it could be today. It could be today. Are you serving and will you serve faithfully as a steward, as a servant of the Lord, so that you too can hear those words, Well done, good and faithful servant, that he might get glory and honor through all that you do. Would you join me today in prayer? If you found this message helpful, check us out at lucybaptist.com where you can find other resources or learn more about our church. We hope and pray that this message has helped you grow in your knowledge of God and in your relationship with him.